everybody, it's Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. Mini Wheats. That's what <laughs> last week's thing was. Yeah. I'm Matsy. Okay, and I'm Micah. On Animation Celery, we give each other cartoons to watch. And the next week, we review and discuss them. Today's topic is cowards. There's kind of a lot of them in cartoons. Mm-hmm. I chose for Matsy an episode from Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And he gave me something from Lost in Oz. Mm. It's a funny coincidence. We both chose the second episode of yeah, uh, each weird. of the series. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't want to get to that scary stuff yet. So, uh, Matsy, how can we kill some time? Um, a while ago, like last year, probably close to the start of this podcast, I mentioned an Australian cartoon called The Strange Chores. Oh, yeah. The Strange Chores. Yeah. Yeah. Um, recently, within the past week, I was reminded of another Australian cartoon that's pretty cool. Okay. Uh, it's called Kitty is Not a Cat. <laughs> Good title. Are you f- yeah. Are you familiar with this at all? No. I'm guessing no. Yeah. Um, it's kind of, in some ways, it's kind of the opposite of that first episode of 101 Dalmatian Street. Mm-hmm. So you remember that episode that was, you know, it's a house full of dogs and they decide they need a human. Um, but then they realize, oh, they can't actually keep this human. Okay. Kitty is not a cat is about a house full of cats. And one day a little girl in a cat costume shows up at their door. Uh, who is in, she doesn't communicate via human language. She is intent on the idea that she is a cat and she has come to live with all these other cats. Okay. And so they take her in and that's kind of what the show is. It's like the cats, this this big cast of different cats dealing with, a little human girl who, cause they don't really know how to handle a human and the human doesn't want to be a human. Uh, example, an episode that I just watched called hmm. Kitty needs a bath. And it starts with Kitty has a cough and they kind of gather around and like, um, maybe she's got a human cold. And so they are, they're thinking about different, like remedies for a cold, but then she coughs up this like little, like light floating hairballs. Okay. Yeah. And they notice that she's like licking her cat costume and rubbing her hand on her head. And they, they realize, Oh, has anybody, has anybody been teaching her how to clean herself? And all the cats put up their hand. Like, has anybody been teaching her how to clean herself like a human? And they all put down their hands. And so, they they do some research and they figure out that humans <laughs> it's actually kind of a funny sequence because they miss they uh, there's this this one cat named Tubby King hmm. Tubby. He fancies himself the king of the cats and he's like all knowledgeable about everything. But, he, but even though he's really not. Yeah. And he knows that humans have these special products that uh, they use to clean themselves and they're impractical products because they have to add water and there's all kinds of marketing that tells them that they have to use these products. And so they have devised these, 
special rooms in their homes where the water is, where they can go to clean themselves, hiding how ridiculous they are for buying these products. All right. And they figure, well, if we live in a house, we must have a water room. And they realize, oh, there's that creepy room upstairs with the faceless man and the one-legged woman on the door. It's the, you know, male and female signs. And so they, like, creep in there and they're, like, looking around at all these weird, like, dental floss and an electric shaver and stuff. And they're trying to figure out how the bathtub works. And they, and of course, Kitty runs away because they're like, "Uh uh-oh. Cats don't like water and she thinks she's a cat. So we got to yeah. figure this out. They eventually realize that her actual problem is that she saw the next door neighbor with a rubber ducky in his bath. And so she wants a squeak toy. Oh, so they they dress up one of the cats as a duck and then she's happy to get in the water and get clean. OK, so Kitty just meows, right? Meows or makes other cat noises. But the cats, the cats themselves speak Australian English. You know, they, they have a mix. They do speak English. Yeah. Um, There's a mixture of different accents, though. Some of them are British. Some of them are a bit Australian. Some of them are American. Well, that that wasn't exactly my point. My point is that they they, they speak, they speak in human language. Yes. Yes. That's funny. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um. I like that show quite a bit. It's very cute. Uh, knowing you, you may have already looked it up and you might be looking at a picture of Kitty right now. Oh, not so, just yet, but uh, sure, let's let's do that. Yeah, I don't have to tell you. She's a cute little girl. Hmm. Got a little black hair hanging out of her orange cat costume. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I, when I opened my phone, I was greeted by a picture of Eric and Presto. Um. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, appetizer for later. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, she's kind of wear, wearing a uh, where the wild things are sort of get up. Yes, yes. Mm. So, yeah, that's a that's a cute little show. I like it quite a bit. Australian cartoons seem to be pretty cool. I need to... Maybe, yeah. I need to find more of these. You ever um, see um, Please Like Me? It's not a cartoon. Uh, it's a live action show. No. Like, the first thing I thought of is that... What was that? Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared? That stupid YouTube series? But oh, no, I haven't no. seen Please Like Me. Please Like Me is great. Um, hmm? It's about a young man who uh, realizes that he's gay, and then okay. it's 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 his uh, about him and his friends and uh, um, his his mother and her mental illness and his his father's separated from his mother, but uh, and he and he's or they're divorced and he's, he has a girlfriend, but he still dotes on the mother because he feels like he has to. Anyway, there's a whole lot of stuff going on there. It's it's a great show. Um, but then some of my other experiments with Australian TV have not been so good or mixed. Mm, mm. Like I tried um, uh, the show called Glitch, which is about uh, people from one cemetery coming back to life. <laughs> so okay. that like they emerge and they're from like different eras and stuff and their their memories are all addled and 
for whatever reason, they're kind of imprisoned in this town, right? Like they start to degrade once they try to leave this small oh, okay. town. Um, right. It's got three seasons and the first two are great. And the third one is so bad that it makes me angry. <laughs> oh, man, I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like how um, uh, <laughs> in the world of movies, um, I saw the third Pirates of the Caribbean and thought, mm. wow, that was awful. But I uh, buoyed myself with the promise of Spider-Man 3 next year. Like, oh, that's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um. My first thought was a show that I believe you like if I've I don't think we've discussed it, but I think okay. somebody has told me that you're enthusiastic about it. Yeah. A cartoon called The Boondocks. Yeah, I like it. The fourth, whatever the last season, I think it was the fourth season of that. Yeah, man, that first episode was so bad. I shut it off halfway through and never went back. I don't but know I'm, if I've seen it all. I love the first three seasons of that show. I thought that show was awesome. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's a very bingeable show, though. Like, it kind of wears on you a little bit. Well, the fourth season annoyed me. Well, first of all, it annoyed me because it went a little overboard with uh, using a certain derogatory word. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Not not the one like. So the show for people who don't know, the Boondocks is uh, based on a comic strip, and it's about these black people living in the like these two black kids living with their grandfather in a, I think it's in the Washington DC area. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of like, it's sort of about, it's a really satirical over the top look at what, um, it's like being black kind of, it's by a black author. Mm. Um, and as I don't know if it's as you might imagine, but you might not be surprised to learn that there is, very gratuitous use of the N-word in that show. You bet. But in the, the I think it's the first episode of the fourth season, they start using a derogatory term for gay people. Oh, yeah. It starts yeah. with an F. Yeah, okay. And they start playing around with how, you know, whether it's okay to use the N-word and the F-word, just using them all rapid fire. Which, <laughs> and that kind of, it was like, okay, this is getting tedious. But also the character using it was this, this reverend character who is a recurring character in the show who was originally voiced by the musician CeeLo Green. Hmm. But they didn't have him for the fourth season. It was a different voice actor. Oh. And I was like, I'm out. Huh. Because I like Gnarls Barkley quite a bit. Hmm. Anyway, how did we get on that? Oh, right. Uh, Australian shows? Seasons that, yeah, Australian oh, no. shows. Uh, yeah, th- sh- sh- things that end badly. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... I don't know. There was something. Oh, what else was I going to? I've derailed you. There was okay. something else that I wanted to. I don't know that it was strictly related to. Oh, the, the Colorado Avalanche won the Stanley Cup. Hooray. I feel like okay. there's something else, like not strictly related to cartoons that I wanted to mention. But gosh, darn it. Now I can't remember what it was. OK, I could do a few things and you could jump yeah, back. Go ahead. In. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. So uh, last week was our Canada Day show. But today is, in fact, Canada Day when we're recording. Yeah. Um. So I went out to meet my mother and sister. That uh, there's like a celebration. They're right next to uh, a lake, and there's going to be this. Uh, you know, there's like a path around the lake, and so there's there's oh, all yeah, kinds yeah, of yeah. stuff going on. Lafarge Lake, 
if you want to look at well, your uh, Google Maps. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, people, go look up this lake in the greater Vancouver area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I yeah, know the, what you're talking about. That's what's important. There's music and there's going to be fireworks or has been at this point, I guess. Um, and uh, so I, I was feeling a little bad because I was supposed to like see them yesterday or the day before. And so I called and asked what they're up to and said, Oh, about half an hour. We're going to go listen to music at the park. So I, okay, sure. I'll, I'll come out and meet you. Um, now, as it turns out, there were thousands of people there and, and, uh, it was mm, pretty hot. Mm. So, yes. uh, we hung out for a little while, but after what promised to be a, at least half an hour of me waiting in line to get my mother an ice cream cone, um, we decided, you know, let's, let's just ditch. Let's go home. Right. Home is right next door. So whatever. Um, okay. so <laughs> we're walking the way out and, um, there are those, what do you call them? Those little cars that are, you know, just for like transporting staff around, you know, you know what I mean? Like tiny a, cars. Yeah. Like so a smart car. No, not like, like what, not what? like a roadworthy automobile. Oh, like, like a little, um, like a little kind of like a cart cart kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. So we're on a path and everyone has to get off the path because there are some coming and going with, with uh, festival staff. Right. Mm. Um, but there are some figures in the middle of the path that are totally oblivious. There are two fursuiters um, oh and a cameraman that's circling them. Uh, so one of them is a blue wolf, I think. Why and did I think immediately it was going to be a blue wolf? Because it's default. Oh, maybe it's because you were thinking of Sonic Fox when you thought of fursuiters. I don't know. Well, I mean, I've seen so many fursuiters. I don't know why that was. I think you're more correct in the default thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other one, I think, is a blue dragon. Anyway, okay. speaking of racial epithets, I'm not going to say the term for this style of dance. But let's just say you were to imagine a couple of guys from the Jersey Shore looking at each other and pumping their fists up at <laughs> back and forth, right? Okay. That's what these two fursuiters were doing. And you can't hear or see anything in a fursuit. And the cameraman's looking through his eyepiece, right? So they're totally unaware, and they take forever to get out of the way of these guys. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> anyway, that was my fun day. Um, Hooray! <laughs> uh, okay, I have the killer of conversations next. Uh, I had a weird dream. Uh, okay, so uh, most of my dreams are pretty normal. If if a little disappointing. So when I have a weird one, it's it's worth uh, recounting. Okay. For starters, though, I don't know if this is true for other people, but often when I have these kind of weird dreams, um, I'm both someone in the dream, but I have like an omniscient view as well. Like yeah, I'm watching a movie. Mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess it's like playing a video game as a character or playing a tabletop RPG, but seeing your figure on the map. Mm. Um. Okay, so um, at the start of the dream, at least, or early on, I'm Mechanek um, <laughs> from from Masters of the Universe, the guy, the uh, the cyborg guy who can extend his neck. Um, yes. But I'm just like a workaday schlub who's coming home from his job. So I have like a jacket on, not my, or it's like over top my red armor, maybe. <laughs> anyway. I'm, like, I'm thinking like Masters of the Universe, but Harvey Birdman. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's a good concept. <laughs> um, maybe it's the filmation universe instead, right? So like, uh, 
Scareglow is suing Waldo Kitty or something, or, or somebody stole Dumb Donald's uh, head toque or whatever that is. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah. so yeah, so I get in there and I, I like I find my cat in the basement and take my. There's a whole bunch of stuff. But anyway, the, the the scene shifts later on, and I'm He Man. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I'm on like a recreational uh, area that's like on top of the building. Right. Um, on the, on the roof. And so I'm there with Tila and there's also another character, like some, some sexy sorceress or, or princess or something. Okay. And I'm flirting with her in such a self-aware way where I comment that I really like that all of her animation is original. (laughs) <laughs> and Tila plays along with the joke and she does like one of her repeated rotoscoped scenes <laughs> and then I'm about to say oh yeah look at me do my forward roll and I'm like about to get down and do that roll that Skeletor and everyone shares right yeah 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 um, yeah yeah. <laughs> but I'm interrupted man at arms comes up with a box and he's going to show his latest invention and it's rubber soles so he's got a bunch of shoes, <laughs> shoes in the box. <laughs> and they're all like sandals, though, right? I lament that he doesn't have a furry boot, but he defends like, eh, I just invented these. I'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's funny. I'm thinking um, uh, I'm, <laughs> that meme of like, you know, the girl in the foreground and the guy's looking at her and then his girlfriend is like, oh, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, of course. Everyone I'm picturing does. That, I'm picturing that, but animated. Okay. <laughs> where like, where like she's walking all smoothly and he's like, oh, yes, like, <laughs> looking <laughs> and she's like, you know, like just stiffly looking from him to her. <laughs> Boy, I don't know how you convey that in an image. Though. I know. I know. Well, it would have to be an animated GIF. I guess. But how would you? I don't know. I don't know. I know you, I, it's not practical. It's just a, no, no. something I thought of. Um. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, I guess that's that's just for that dream. It's not like a great. It's not a great epic of our times or anything. It's just a, yeah. a funny, some funny, weird jokes and self awareness. Um. Uh. My tour of My Little Pony Friendship is Magic continues. Mm-hmm. My, my my completion tour. Um, so I watched a couple episodes only this week. One, uh, Starlight formally takes over the school. Okay. Uh, because Twilight's going to become responsible for the sun, moon, and everything, literally. Yeah. Um, so she's overwhelmed and decides that maybe the first thing she should do is hire a vice pony to run the school. Hmm. <laughs> Um, so vice pony makes it sound like, like a less than a pony, right? Well, she's going to be head mare and I, I, maybe she words it vice head mare, but there's, there's male candidates that apply for it. But anyway, um, uh, uh, so Trixie overhears that and she makes an assumption that, that Starlight is just creating a role so that her friend can work with her at school. Yeah. Uh, so she auditions too, but she doesn't take it seriously because she thinks it's in the bag. Yeah. 
And that's one of the themes for this season nine that's been running is ponies at their jerkiest. And she's just going through all the tests, like totally blase, you know, and being rude. Mm. Um, the other candidates that go for it are uh, Octavia, the musician pony. Yep. And uh, Dr. Hooves. <laughs> and for some reason, Big Mac. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't know how he, like, he practically runs Apple Acres, so I don't know how he... I was thinking, like, my first thought was, you know, his limited communication skills. Right. I guess he doesn't really have to say much, but then my second thought was, wait a minute, like, the Apple family are, like, the busiest people in town. They never have time for anything. Yeah, he seems to do more anyway on the farm, like... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, than than Applejack does, certainly. Um, anyway, that, that... they they start eliminating people, but there's by the end of it, they find a role for which Trixie fits. And it's a good episode because, you know, more Trixie. Actually, I was looking back at Trixie and I was kind of missing her old self that had the running gag where she'd throw the smoke. I know it's a, it's it's hacky now, but you throw the smoke bomb down, but then you see her running away. Yeah. And sometimes she falls. Yeah. <laughs> Galloping and stumbling. It's so good. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so. I saw that one, and then then the uh, the next episode that I watched was a Daring Do episode. Well, man, I yeah, got... I don't really like Daring Do either. I I liked Daring Do until um until the episode where it was revealed that the author actually was Daring Do, and all the stories were true. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that, that kind of killed it for me. Well, also, I don't like that. Daring Do is a Pegasus because I think if I were to actually have to write a story about avoiding traps. That the wings would just kind of ruin the ability to... Yeah, anyway. Um, I mean, they handle it first off by her having injured wings, but anyway. Yeah, yeah I guess, I guess um, you know, they, they had to make it something that Rainbow Dash could relate to when she... When her rings... Rings? Wings were busted. Oh, that's right, yeah. in the hospital, so... Yeah. That, I mean, I guess that's the reason for it on the face, and they didn't know that it was going to be an ongoing thing, but... Eh. Well, in this case, it starts off... Um, with J.K. Yearling, that's, uh, uh, Daring Do's alter ego, um, <laughs> or her, or her regular persona, I guess, as a novelist. Yeah. I don't know which, which is her real name. Anyway, she's, she's a novelist that does, details her own adventures. Um, right. she has a rival in that field. It's Dr. Caballeron, her arch nemesis on adventures. Right. Himself has adopted a pseudonym as Groom Cake or sorry Groom QQ Martingale and he's writing he's written a defamatory book oh. about Daring Do. It took me a second to figure that one out, but okay. Yeah, maybe I don't say it at the right uh, rhythm to anyway. Um George yeah, he's, R. R. Martin is the thing here. Yeah, yes, yes. Um he's written a defamatory book about Daring Do. <laughs> And uh, so what happens is that Fluttershy tries to bridge the gap by finding out Caballeron's side of the story. And she agrees to go with him and his hench ponies to go on a treasure hunt. Um, Uh They're really just using her. But the thing is, is that she's so overall useful to their adventure that she starts like winning them over. 
Hmm. And in the mean, and meanwhile, they're being pursued by the team of Fluttershy and Daring Do, you know, Rainbow to go Dash save. And Daring Do? Sorry, Rainbow Dash and, and Daring Do. Yes, yes. Um, okay. uh, so, you know, it's just another Daring Do episode. And it kind of subverts the whole idea in a weird way. and has a has a kind of like <laughs> a wah-wah kind of ending. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Because this this season nine is like a ties a bow on their various um, threads, you know, in the show, like yeah, Daring yeah. Do here, right? So it's weird to end it on a like oh shucks kind of ending, but um, this does carry on with one weird trend. One other weird trend in season nine is extremely capable, competent Fluttershy. Um, well, she has exhibited growth over the last nine years. Yeah. She was great in that dragon episode. She's great in this episode. Um, and she's even even in the one where she and Angel are on the outs and she's got to learn to see things from Angel's perspective. Even in that one, they portray her as someone like, oh, that she she uh, doggedly runs the animal sanctuary and teaches at the school. So, mm-hmm. so far, she comes off best out of the main six. Huh. And this, well, and for that matter... As compared to prior seasons, has a lot of stories about her. Very unusual. Ah, anyway, did you think about, did you, did you remember your thing? I do, I do. Um, Yeah. It's, it's not any kind of spectacular story. It's just an amusing anecdote that made me laugh. Okay. Uh, I was at work talking to my, talking to one of my coworkers. Um, I get along with most of my coworkers uh, and we were chatting about stuff um we were talking about south park and that led into talking about um beavis and butthead because there's a new beavis and butthead movie right Uh, beavis and butthead do the universe um and i was mentioning a uh a bit where they're in a police car and the police have guns pointed at them and they're just like uh we have white privilege (laughs) um and and then my coworker was talking about oh he liked the part in Beavis and Butthead to America where um I don't know, something whatever it was. It was it was a part in in that. And I started talking about, oh, there was this one really good episode where this thing happened or whatever. And he's like, I didn't know it was a show. What? <laughs> I was like, uh, are are you kidding? It was Where's a show your friend for, like, from? Well, he's from, I believe he was born here, although I I think his ethnicity is uh, El Salvadoran. It's on much music, or it was on much music all the time. That's like MTV for Americans. Yeah. yeah. Now, keep in mind, something I'm learning here is that most people that I encounter in my everyday life mm. are younger than me. Oh, like right. A bit. Right. Okay. Um, But it was weird. It's like... Dude, that that movie came out in like 1997 or something, and that it was a TV show for like five years before that. Hmm. It was yeah. He was like, it's like I gotta watch that. It's like yeah, like there's tons of episodes, <laughs> and then they brought it back again, and then like I couldn't believe that this guy who has seen every episode of South Park, yeah, did not know that Beavis and Butthead was a show and not just a movie. Do you uh, think that that white privilege thing is too smart for them? 
as characters. Beavis. Well, I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know, but I'm assuming I think based on some other like thumbnails that I've seen, they might have like seen it somewhere else. Oh, like, okay. A, that makes at sense. At a rally or something and they, you know, you know, there's people talking about white people think that, you know, if the cops stop a white person, they just get away scot free, but a black person gets shot and they're like, "Oh, cool." Like, I'm yeah, assuming sure. that that's the point that Mike Judge is making in that. Well, sometimes um, they're quite smart, especially in terms of being media savvy. Like, sometimes they say things that are quite smart, even though they're a couple of 14-year-olds who can't recognize a cow when they see one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I I do want to see that movie because I like Beavis and Butthead quite a bit. I need to maybe I'll watch that and get back to you next week on Beavis and Butthead do the universe. Hmm. All right. Um, yeah. Uh. Well, I guess we may as well get started. Uh, if we dare. Yeah. All right. Uh-oh. You gave me. Wait. Oh, it's you first. Yeah, I go first. You go get first. Get out of here. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's like we're still being scared. No, you first. Uh, there's g-g-g-g-ghosts. <laughs> Actually, no ghosts. No, strangely. No no ghosts in either of these. No, there's everything else. Um, so <laughs> there's Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Um, yeah, so this is the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, uh, which debuted, I believe, in 1983. And something that I learned is ran for three seasons? Yeah. I thought it only I I would have thought it only lasted one. Uh, hmm. And then as I was thinking about it, because actually what happened was I was looking in my. It, so this is a show that's based on Dungeons and Dragons, the popular uh, tabletop role playing game. Although what I realized in looking it up, because I grabbed my second edition Dungeons and Dragons players handbook to see the classes. Like, right. Are, they, are they, all these classes actually here? And what I realized as I was looking through it was, wait a minute, this show is from like Dungeons and Dragons, not advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, no, it is. Or or at least not the second edition of Dungeons and Dragons. No, not not, uh, the Unearthed Arcana book came out and (laughs) the original use of that title, I think. um, And it had the Cavalier class and it had the Thief Acrobat, which I guess Mm. was the original prestige class, if you will. (laughs) Oh, and they're the Barbarian, too. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the point is, so this is a cartoon that was... Dungeons and Dragons in the 80s had this weird kind of thing where everything was being super marketed in the 80s, uh, particularly toys and other recreational things like that. And D&D had to get in on the act. But Dungeons and Dragons was also controversial because people were led to believe that it was like, demonic and satanic and people would get up to like human sacrifice and all kinds of weird stuff that now we know is completely untrue and it you know it's kind of like the lies that certain people believe nowadays about certain things and it just it they just stubbornly will not go away i think what do Hmm? Yeah, I think if anything, the weirdness of somebody mentally unhinged getting into Dungeons and Dragons will probably save some celebrity from being stalked. You know? Yeah, it's like true. A healthier outlet for somebody yeah. who's really into Satan or whatever. If that guy who played Dungeons and Dragons, maybe John Lennon would still be alive today. 
Whoa, my God. <laughs> hot, take. hot take. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so this is a cartoon that was designed to market Dungeons and Dragons, and it's about this uh, group of kids who get on a ride at the amusement park and are transported to the realm of Dungeons and Dragons, where uh, a little weirdo called Dungeon Master... <laughs> um, Dungeon Master in actual D&D is the player who kind of runs the game and he makes up the story and controls the monsters that the players have to fight. He is the game or she, or she, I should say they, um, they are the game itself where the players have to play against the dungeon master. And in this case, dungeon master is just this guy who sort of cryptically tells the teenagers, um, what they need to do to get home. Also, there's a villain named Venger, um, and another villain who isn't in this episode, but the five-headed dragon Tiamat. Hmm. Um, but Venger, well, we'll see. Um, so By the way, I, I hmm? think there is a female dungeon master in one of the episodes, but anyway, yeah. There's, based on what I looked up briefly, um, yeah. there's a female counterpart to the villain Venger. Hmm. Um, and <laughs> I think it's... Uh, explained very late in the series that Venger and his sister are the children of Dungeon Master. I guess so, he stole her skirt. It's a robe. Yeah. <laughs> she stole his other horn. Okay, anyway, so let's get into this. So it's this uh, group of kids. Oh, Dungeon Master bestows upon each of them a special weapon and a character class. And uh, yeah, they just got to get home. And this is episode two, which is called The Eye of the Beholder. And so I guess in episode one, the kids were told to follow the suns. There's four suns. And so they're going across this desert. A knight shows up and runs through their group. And he's like, whoa. But it turns out he's being chased by a scorpion. So uh, the kids run away from the scorpion while the knight hides in a hole. But then it turns out there's a blue dragon in the hole which is significantly worse. <laughs> um, while the kids are hiding, the knight is forced to cower as the giant scorpion and the blue dragon fight each other and actually fight each other off. So when the kids emerge, they discover that the knight, they see the knight and they figure, okay, well, the knight, it could, thank you for chasing off that scorpion. Oh, at this point, I should probably mention that uh, as soon as they entered the realm, the kids also gained a unicorn. Yes. A little, like a little unicorn uh, foal. You know, kudos to this cartoon for placing the blue dragon in the correct environment. Yeah, and the blue dragon shoots lightning. Yeah, cool. Even the design is very blue dragony, which I think is good. But also, I really think Bobby probably could have squished that scorpion. But yeah, anyway. Bobby, yeah, I haven't really introduced the characters. Oh, he's the barbarian, like, the nine-year-old. There's a million eight, of them. Eight-year-old barbarian boy with a yeah, magic little club. Kid. Yeah, yeah, he's a barbarian. Um, I will introduce the characters as we go. Okay. Because all of them do something, I think, except uh, Sheila the Thief. Oh, yeah. Hmm. She's kind of used. Anyway, so the kids are like, oh, thanks, knight. And the knight, who introduces himself as Sir John, he goes, uh, okay, well, I gotta go, and leaves. Immediately. Um, that's when Dungeon Master shows up. He just kind of pops up out of nowhere, um, which makes sense because the Dungeon Master 
in D&D terms, is omniscient. So he just shows up and he tells the kids that they need to go to this desolate land, which used to be beautiful, but was despoiled by a beholder. A beholder, in D&D terms, and this is another one that's actually pretty well represented, um, a beholder is kind of like this big fleshy bag with one big eye and a big toothy mouth with a whole bunch of tentacles, each tentacle ending in an eye, each of which in D&D lore can fire a different kind of uh, dangerous laser. So they got to get past the beholder because it's guarding the portal that will lead them back home. Also, something that'll help them is they have to look back to go forward. Uh, Bobby takes this to the extreme or the logical and looks backwards. Is like, well, uh, this is probably what we need to do, right? Hmm. And the leader, the ranger, Hank, jumps to the conclusion, hey, Sir John is in our past now. He's probably the key. And so I'm maybe I'm just reading too much into how this is laid out, but it kind of appears like they actually do go back the way they came. Yeah. So all this trekking across the desert was for uh, naught. Well, it's just to meet Sir John. By the way, yeah. They, yeah, they didn't set it up in the prior episode. This is just the way episodes begin where they're like in the middle of something. Yeah, like the opening credits set mm. up the premise of the show. And yeah. then it seems like each episode is kind of self-contained. Anyway, as the kids head to this mushroom forest, Sir John apparently made really good time because he's way ahead of them. He's all the way back in town. And he's getting called out by the headmen of the town for being a coward. And they're running him out. They're going to hire a new knight. Sir John's son, Timothy, is there and he's worried because they've already been run out of every other town <laughs> in the realm. And this is their last hope. And so Sir John begs for one more chance. And the headman says, OK, fine. You have one last chance to do something brave. And so Sir John heads out to do something brave. Some great in, Welker to Welker dialogue there. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say that I, I actually meant to, I was sort of joking with the idea of not introducing him as Sir John, but just calling him Frank Welker. Yes. And saying that Frank, Frank Welker tells Frank Welker. Also, the unicorn is voiced by Frank Welker. Oh my God. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Um, based on, not in this episode, but, uh, based on what I read, it seems like Tiamat, who is a female dragon, mm. is also voiced by Frank Welker. Oh, doing his wheezing monster voice. Oh, is that what it is? Well, you know, okay. like, it, if you I saw, know the voice, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not Frank Welker. Anyway, yeah, so there's lots of Frank Welker here. Uh, the kids are walking through this dark mushroom forest and they can see uh, creatures watching them from the shadows. So they have a magician in their party whose name is Presto for some reason. Hey. Despite the fact that their other names are like Eric and Diana. Um, but Presto, he being a magician in a cartoon, has a magic hat from which he can cast spells that always go wrong. Uh, in this case, he wants some light. And so he pulls out a birthday cake covered with candles and they can see these like humanoid snail things. I forgot to look this up, Micah. Are these a thing in D&D? Because &D? I don't know. Really. No, but no. But 
<laughs> D&D does its thing where, like, giant slugs have acid attacks and there's flail snails. Oh, so yeah. This okay. is very much in the milieu. Oh, by the way, Presto, his his proper name is Preston. Oh, okay. So that it makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah. All right. I get it. Okay. So, yeah. So it seems that these snail things don't like light. And uh, there's a ridiculous bit where Bobby's nose gets tickled by Uni's tail. And so the it blows out the candles. So the ranger is forced to hold them off with his light arrows, but he can't hold them off forever. And all of the kids end up captured and stuffed into sacks. Uni manages to escape and they implore him to go find Sir John because Sir John's a hero, right? Now, Sir John is walking through this same mushroom forest with a torch and he is startled by Uni. Uni then discovers that Sir John is a coward. And Uni uh, coaxes him to follow more Frank Welker to Frank Welker. Oh, man, I love Uni's face right in John's face. Just yeah. gibbering. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's kinda, yeah you can kind of see why Sir John is scared. Yeah. Anyway, Uni steals the torch, which causes Sir John to give chase. Uh, and, of course, Uni drops the torch in the snail people's camp. Uh, Sir John picks it up in a terrified bout of terrifiedness. He starts flailing his torch around and scares off all the snail people. And the kids... Again, all they see is Sir John saving them. Uh, one of those weird... What's the term? A Chekhov's gun? Where a prop is introduced, and so you know it's going to be useful later. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, the acrobat, who is the black girl, who is dressed like an African savage. Whoa. Uh, yeah. Hey, I'm not, I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just pointing it out. Hey, this is it, what they do in the 80s, folks. If you were a kid back in those days, it was okay. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but she, but anyway, she's 15, so clean up clean up your minds, you pervs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, she's th- she figures the only thing they have to thank Sir John with is a flower that she just picks from right next to him. Hmm. Uh, it's a convenient flower because it's the exact same shade of purple as Sir John's shirt. So... In most instances, it will be easy for the Chinese sweatshop to paint. Actually, maybe it's Korean. I'm not. This is animated by Toy, so I think it's actually Japanese. Anyway, the point is that Sir John now has this purple flower. So the kids explain that they got to go fight the Beholder, and they were looking for John to help him. Although now Yuni is like, "Uh, this guy is not a hero, but he doesn't speak English. He just spanks, speaks, uh, he just spanks Frank Welker. <laughs> Fan artists get on that. <laughs> he just, actually, I keep saying he, Uni's a she. she. Right, right. Uh, just speaks Frank Welker. So they can't tell that Sir John is a coward. Uh, oh, Sir John, try. Hmm? I actually have a correction. The fastest correction ever. Um, Presto's name is Albert. The uh, oh, the Presto I was thinking of is Elminster's apprentice Presto, who's Preston. Oh, so okay. yeah, and everybody. By Elminster, you mean the dungeon master? No, no, Elminster's this powerful wizard in the Forgotten Realm. Oh, but... you mean you mean actually in D anD D? In D anD D. So oh, yeah. okay, all okay. you nerds, okay. stop writing your emails. All right. Okay. Anyway, uh, Sir John tries to flee using the excuse that he needs his shield. And so Presto 
pulls out of his hat a garbage can lid to serve as the shield. And now Sir John really kind of has no excuse, and he is forced to go along with the kids back to the desolate wasteland again. There... He tells, or the kids sort of figure they need a plan, and uh, Sir John tells him, okay, you come up with one, I'll go this way, and runs off. Now, Eric, Eric is the cavalier, and he's also the jerk character. Yeah. And he is starting to catch on to the idea that Sir John is a coward, but the others don't believe him. What's actually happening here is that Sir John is having a bit of a crisis of conscience where he has, well, not even conscious, it's like he needs to do something brave, but also... He's a coward and he doesn't want to do something brave and he doesn't want to fight a beholder. Uh, and at this point, the main villain of the series, Venger, shows up, voiced by Peter Cullen, Optimus Prime. Hmm. Now, he tells Sir John that he is going to take the kids to the beholder and he's going to abandon them there. And Sir John actually does have a kind heart and a, a just heart, and he defiantly states that he's not going to do that until Venger shows him that he has kidnapped Timmy and has him surrounded by uh, dogs of some kind. Maybe think, blink dogs, although I didn't see any tentacles. I was thinking just hyenas, but... Uh, no, whatever. Yeah. Um, you, ha you need no excuse to come up with four-legged fanged things in the D&D &D world. Hmm. So faced with this conundrum, John decides that he has no choice. He goes back to the kids and tells them that he's found the beholder and it's this way. And so he leads them to a uh, passage through some cliffs, points him in the right direction and leaves. And that's when all the kids realize that he's such a coward. Now they go through this passage and immediately encounter the beholder. So I'm going to headcanon this a little bit and decide that since this is the second episode, these characters are second level. Oh, okay. Uh, I looked it up. Uh, there is a concept in D&D called challenge rating, which kind of indicates how difficult an enemy is to fight. It's it's based on it. It, it varies from edition to edition. I didn't see a challenge rating in my second edition handbook. So I went with the third one, which says that a beholder is a challenge level or challenge rating 13 monster. That means that a party of four 13th level characters should find a beholder to be a decent challenge. And what we have here is like six or seven. I lose track of how many kids there are. Uh, <laughs> second level characters. So the fact that they are immediately defeated by the beholder is in line. Like a beholder is a big deal in D&D. &D. You don't just throw those out willy nilly. Well, they lost um, to the snail guys. They ran away from the giant scorpion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, in their defense, there was a blue dragon there as well. Yeah, they haven't gotten their chops yet, I guess. You know, I actually have the uh, the collection for this cartoon. And it includes... I thought I saw that on your shelf. Yeah, it includes statistics for the uh, the children. But I, oh. I think those statistics are for them at the end of the series. So... Mm, okay. So the Beholder, I mentioned the Beholder has lots of eyes and they can all shoot various rays. Hmm. Uh, in this case, much like the snail people earlier, it shoots out lassos hey. and ties all the kids up. So Sir John is feeling bad for himself as he walks away, but Venger meets up with him. And in a, in a rare instance of a villain being a being of their word, yeah. he actually frees Timothy and gives him back to John. 
and they embrace, but then they hear the kids calling for help and Timothy, not realizing the bargain that John has been forced into, says, oh, someone needs help. Let's go. And so they head back and see the children about to be presumably devoured or disintegrated by the beholder. And John says, "Okay, I got to do this. And he jumps in there with his trash can shield and is immediately defeated, just like the kids were. He apparently is not much higher level than them. Or maybe he's one 13th level person, which is still only a fourth of what you need to fight a beholder. Mm. Anyway, as he is being dragged to the beholder, they um, I think it was the acrobat Diana yeah, correct. who gets the idea that since the beholder bespoiled, despoiled, I should say, beholder bespoiled, hmm. um, despoiled this beautiful land, the beholder hates beauty. And so the flower uh, that John is wearing is the key and he sticks the flower in the beholder's face and it melts. But boy, if only it was that easy. Well, you just need um, to hit it with a weapon attack roll using a pretty flower. Yeah, yeah. My personal or, ruling is that the flowers are considered martial weapons with regard to proficiency bonus. Hmm. I might call it an unarmed attack. Okay. An, an improvised weapon at best. <laughs> All right. This is still not the worst beholder in the Dungeons and Dragons world. Oh, you're, are you going to talk about the movie one? The movie. Oh, that beholder. What, is, what a tease, though. Here's a beholder. Now forget about it. Yeah, they, well, like, they. oh, this beholder, whose entire deal is that it can look everywhere all at once. Hey, let's distract it by throwing a rock. Hey. Stupid movie. Anyway, so the beholder's dead, and, uh, what? I've, I've lost track now. Um, uh, beholder's oh, yeah. dead, but John is recognized as a true hero now? Is that where you're going? Yeah, they they realize that, you know, John kind of redeemed himself. Uh, but then oh, Avengers, Avengers, yeah, 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 Avenger shows up and <laughs> boy, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> he tells John that he's disobeyed him for the first and last time, which I took. There are two different ways you can take that. Mm -hmm. Way number one is that John has previously served Venger loyally, yeah. which doesn't seem right. No. Way number two is that this is just a really stupid line. Like Mr. Burns would have said this to Smithers in The Simpsons and it would have been a funny joke. <laughs> okay, I get you're going with that. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Anyway, so Venger starts firing his hand lasers at John uh, the kids use their weapons to freeze Venger in the air, and then some red blast from out of nowhere knocks him away. Nobody's really sure where it came from, but they just kind of overlook it and, you know, make their... Oh, I forgot something very important. Yes. The portal to the human world opened up, and all the kids were about to climb into it, but Bobby didn't want to leave Uni behind. But more importantly, John was being assaulted by Venger. That's that's yeah, that's why I had so much trouble remembering because I was mi mixing up these two things happening at once. Oh, it's got the greatest thing too. It's got yeah. Eric at his most Aspergeriest when uh, <laughs> when they're all like fighting for their lives, 
and he's halfway through the portal saying, mm, I can smell those hamburgers now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what a but guy. Then, you know, yeah. But then, not an entire jerk. He goes back to help his friends. Yeah. So they make friends with Prince or uh, with Sir John, and he's done something heroic, so he gets to stay in his town for another day. Uh, and the kids all walk away. Instead of going into the portal, which showed no signs of closing... Uh, oh, and the land returns to its former beauty and, uh, the dungeon master is there and he kind of laughs, implying that it was he who fired the ray that knocked away Venger. So, you know, dungeon master, uh, gave his party a challenge that they were too weak to overcome and then defeated it for them. And the kids stupidly just walked away from the portal that was right there so that this series can continue for another three seasons. Was it still depicted as being there? Like, they didn't show it closed, but I think they, they just... Didn't, well, well, that's the thing. Like, they never yeah. showed it closed. I mean, they never showed it again, but there was no statement like, it's going to close, or... Like, mm. as far as we know, it's still right there. I guess it's the something beholder, that's probably... The beholder, it, the beholder even, like, slimed down a crack and disappeared, <laughs> so you can't yes. even make the argument that it's still guarding the portal or, like, it regenerated or whatever. It's probably something that's not explicit, even though that's the theme of, like, almost every episode of the series is, there's the portal, but we can't because... Also, you know what? I would have just taken the unicorn. I would have just taken him back. Whatever. Well, my immediate thought actually was, you know... Going through the portal into this realm turned them all into heroes, and presumably they'll turn back to normal when they get back. So what's going to happen to Uni if they go through the portal? I... Will Uni turn into a dog? <laughs> Same voice. And then, we get to hear, then we get to hear some hot Frank Welker barks. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I like to think they take the magic weapons with them and they have these incredible devices in the real world. Yeah, I... I'm sure I mean, there's been an episode where they're like in the real world. So I, I don't know if they just don't work here. I think mm. there's one where like Tiamat follows, follows them back into the real world and they have to push Tiamat back and close the portal or something. Hmm. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm inventing something, but I think that's in some episode. Yeah, it could mm. be. There was apparently a lot of episodes of this show. Well, not really. Like the last season only has six episodes. and I think the second one only oh. has eight. So, oh, Okay, yeah. well, hmm. all right. Uh, anyway, Dungeons and Dragons, what do we think? Uh, well, I think, well, for one thing, this is only the second episode. Yeah. They have a coward in their number already. This probably should have been an episode about Eric. Hmm. Probably. Yeah, I, 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 I could see that. Yeah. Um. Although, well, does Venger... I mean, you'd have to completely rewrite it. Like, Venger doesn't have anything over Eric. Well, that's another weird thing in this one. Is that, okay, so John is a coward, right? But they introduce Timothy, his son, and then sort of muddy the idea of him being a coward by having Venger uh, threaten his loved one in order to force him to do something bad. Yeah. So he's not abandoning them out of cowardice. He's abandoning them because he's been uh, leveraged. Well, it's two different you things. Know? Like they they think he's it's kind of like they're they are led to believe that he is a coward, even though what he's doing is not an act of cowardice. But also, yeah, he is a coward. Yeah. A little it's weird. Just, he just wasn't a coward this time. He just looked like a coward. 
but yeah. trust me, he actually is one. Hmm. Um. I don't know. You, you know what's missing from this episode? Not what? only Tiamat, but Shadow Demon. Shadow Demon is Venger's flunky. Oh. And for me, I always thought so cool. Hmm. He was like semi-transparent. Shadow Demon is really just like a silhouette of a... Uh, it's got legs that just turn into like a wispy trail. And mm. it's got bat wings and it like it's 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 uh transparent oh it's got like little glowy white eyes like spawn or spider-man and it just kind of like can seep yeah. through anything right. so cool i thought as a kid yeah why not but not in this episode unfortunately yeah um i guess we know what i have hmm? well as it, be- beholders for all their place as D's signature monster signature original monster um they're not that fun to run as a dungeon master. Yeah. I don't think so. Because, okay, they've got a million different eye rays, mm-hmm. but really they have a disintegration eye ray and a petrification eye ray. <laughs> those, those are the ones that everybody is really worried about. Right. I think it's cool that they have a, you know, a telekinesis ray and then, you know, like, what are the other mm-hmm. ones? Sleep ray, <laughs> magic missiles, yeah. just like, you know, whatever, right? Yeah. I think if I were to redesign them, I would have their uh, rules for destroying their rays, and I would have them have, like, two superior stocks that did the petrification and disintegration. So you could take care of them, and the rest of them were just lasers or whatever, because they're a pain to run, like I said, all those other things. And rolling a die to do it randomly is yeah. kind of a nuisance. Um, mm. Their other yeah. problem is that they're perfect hovering flyers, and they're super intelligent, so... You need to populate an encounter with more stuff because for all those guys who specialize at melee attacks, why would a beholder ever do anything except float 80 feet in the air and rain death down on everybody? But <laughs> not fair, not fun. So, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, some of those later D&D monsters can get pretty nasty. Mind mm. flares. Sure. Lithids, if you prefer. Mm. Um, as for this cartoon, I don't know. It's sort of like in much the same way that medieval Europe is the default for fantasy. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of like the default for an 80s cartoon that's trying to sell something. Yeah. Who was it? Was it LJN that made the D&D toys? Possibly. Kind of cool. They have War Duke. It's kind of a cool figurine. Um, I remember my brother got one for his birthday, like some, you know, some kid who didn't know him that well or, or, you know, just, hey, what's a cool toy to give this kid for his birthday? And it was like a, I think it was a dwarf that had some kind of like lever action axe arm or something. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So D&D toys existed at one time and then they went hard into miniatures in fourth edition. They had a, Uh, they had a hook horror toy. That was pretty cool. Oh, neat. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is LJN. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you D&D. mentioned that it was done by Toei Studio, and boy, you can see it. Those faces, those are Toei mm. faces if ever I've seen them. Yeah. I mean, They're also I... like Robotech and, yeah, the the various series that comprise Robotech, so. Yeah, I I know you don't. You don't hold it against people when these things happen, but there was an animation error where they forgot to color in Diana's boots at one point. Um, oh, yeah. 
yeah, that's just spotted that. But anyway, yeah, so it's a Dungeons and Dragons cartoon and it's it, it, it is what it is. <laughs> it's I, I don't mind it. I, I, th- I think it's kind of cool. Um, I I wasn't as cringed. I, I didn't cringe as much as I thought I was going to watching it. Yeah, it was just kind of like, yeah, this is pretty much every second tier 80s cartoon. Well, the humor is especially that for sure. And the Frank Welker. Oh, yes. <laughs> Almost as much as Rose Petal Place. Frank Welker's talking to Frank Welker's. Yep. Frank Welker's everywhere. Okay. Uh, let's move on. Um, oh okay. Boy. No Frank Probably. Welker, but there's a Frank Welker-like dog voice performance in my cartoon. <laughs> is, it Bre- is it Bradley D. Baker? Or D. Bradley no. Baker? What's that guy's no, name? No, 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 no. 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 <laughs> uh, okay, I'm looking at Lost in Oz. Uh, specifically an episode called Dorothy Meets a Lion, directed by Jae Hong Kim in 2016. Okay, so Lost in Oz is a recent cartoon based on the setting of Oz and stories from its creator, L. Frank Baum. Uh, Unlike many cartoon adaptations, this one deviates sharply from the plot and merely takes its characters and myths with all the illusions they bring. Uh, this Dorothy Gale is from modern times. Her mother, Ev- Evelyn Gale, I think, right? Yes. Um, had prior adventures in Oz. And when Dorothy finds her mother's magic journal and reads the magic words, go forth, she and her dog Toto and their house are transported to the Emerald City in Oz by a sudden tornado. This Emerald City is quite a high-tech stylized metropolis. The Land of Oz is experiencing a magic shortage, and that's extra trouble for Dorothy since her way back home is uh, to supply each magical element from the periodic table. The rarest of these is Ozonium. When she helps the living patchwork doll escape from flying monkeys, she gets her hand on some Ozonium, with new companions Ojo the Munchkin and a witch girl named West... West, Um, she uses the Ozonium to revive the city's giant guardian, as well as several citizens from a petrified state. Further, they defeat Fitz, a powerful young wizard who steals magic from beings and turns them to stone. Fitz also is the master of the flying monkeys, and he lives a double life working in law enforcement. And that was episode one. Mm. So now to review my assignment episode two because they do a little recap at the beginning of it but it goes by quick and you'll yeah, be lost i think yeah you'll be lost if you didn't review that first episode so beginning of episode two it's night the giant guardian is harangued by the flying monkeys before you can blow the warning horn the lead monkey pelts him in the face with a dangerous object The next day, Dorothy, Ojo, West, and West's mother are riding the train. West's mother, Syra, confirms that the picture in the journal is her with Evelyn, Dorothy's mom, and Glinda the Good. They used to be friends but have grown apart. Further investigation of the magic book reveals pictures that are chronicling Dorothy's current adventures in Oz. When the train comes to a stop... Toto is the first to exit, and the dog notices the phasing of an invisible being nearby. 
I think it might be the Predator. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> Pugmill, an officer of the law, incidentally made out of bricks, kind of like Thing from Fantastic Four, <laughs> calls for celebration for the return of their giant lookout. Um, he calls on the observant giant to point out who brought him back to life, because he observes everything. But even though he sees Dorothy, he doesn't point her out. When Pugmill dangles a chance to meet Glinda as reward, everybody in the crowd tries to take credit. So Dorothy and her companions go to the police station to take, to take credit, but no good deed goes unpunished. Pugmill menaces them because he thinks they're no more legit than any of the others. And Fitz overhears and delegitimizes them with magic, making Dorothy, Ojo, and West act crazy, and they all get kicked out. Um, Fitz goes to, the, to his junkyard hideout where the flying monkeys are repairing their wings and stalking water, balloon, water balloons of oblivion. <laughs> with activation of his magic derby, Fitz controls the flying monkeys to go make Dorothy and her friends forget. Ojo pieces it together that the lookout lost his memory to one of these water balloons in the first scene, remember? So when the lead monkey steals Dorothy's backpack, the sometimes invisible lion steals it for himself and Toto runs after him. It's a chase. The lion takes refuge underground in the night market, apparently a dangerous place. Nonetheless, everybody runs after Toto, and they lose the pursuit of the flying monkeys. The lion uses portable holes to escape. Portable portals, I should say. Yeah. Um, kind of like the portal gun from the game Portal. Yes, very much. Yeah. Dorothy takes a moment to investigate the amazing portable teleportation discs, but then their search continues. Dorothy and Toto catch up to the lion, but the monkeys catch up to all of them. Fitz corners Dorothy and tries to remove her memory with his water balloons. Uh, she cleverly uses the portable portals to keep dodging the attacks. Uh, but when Fitz follows her into a portal, she traps him between two holes, perpetually falling. The lion also catches the monkeys in a portal. At some point, Fitz is going to reach terminal velocity and there'll be no safe way for him to stop. You know, what What actually happens here is that West pushes the two portals that he's going through together. Yes. And that made me wonder, like, what is actually happening to him in there? Like, when there's no distance between the two points that he's traveling through? Like, is mm. he stuck in the in-between dimension? Or does he, like, completely cease to exist? Yeah. This is kind of like one of those <laughs> good-natured good guy things, right? Because Fitz is incredibly dangerous, not just to them, but to the whole land, it seems, right? Because he's stealing yeah. magic. So the right thing to do maybe would have been to move one of those portals over one of those long drops <laughs> off the side <laughs> of the... Or, you know, at least capture him to you know have and grill him about what's I mean, going on theoretically they have like if they took those two portals to jail and like open them up he would pop out at as you said terminal velocity and or yes. unless unless he just ceased to exist but if, have you watched episode three there, 
I have not. I imagine he's just fine and plotting again somewhere, but. Oh, yeah, sure. No, I mean, uh, it's probably some scene where maybe there isn't even a scene that explains how he gets out. I don't know. Oh, I don't think so. No, this is just a like, ah, we beat him now. Let's uh, let's just go away and leave him alone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, You know, at the very least, get rid of those flying monkeys. Uh, Mm hmm. Actually, if he's falling like that, it's rather lucky that he doesn't lose his his uh, flying monkey control hat. But anyway, <laughs> we're we're stuck on this falling thing. So uh, the kid crew catches up to the lion at his secret lair thanks to Toto's keen nose. The lion's name is Ray. Funny enough, he reveres Toto as the most formidable of the group. I can't argue at this point. Um <laughs> From his invisible spying, Ray has pieced together lots of information about Glinda the Good and where to find her. Now for the end scene, back at the police station, Pugmill, the brick guy, grills a shady vendor who is a fish, a frog, a salamander. When I first saw them from the back, I thought they were axolotls. Yeah, so salamander, maybe. But they're not cute salamanders, so I don't think an axolotl, but maybe... I don't know. I don't know. He's a weird little guy. Yeah. Uh, So his echo jar, this little device that you can record messages in, I guess, um, was found near the giant guardian, but he fingers Dorothy as the culprit. And that's where we end on this cliffhanger. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. So this cartoon has, it's, it's computer animated and I think has a real stop motion look to it, like a Leica movie. It kind of does. Like, I was noticing the hair of Ojo. Yeah. And even Dorothy is like, it's, it's solid. But yeah. It's not, it's not like lazy solid. It's like they they actually made effort to look, to look like that. Oh, by the way, since you pointed out Diana's boots in the other cartoon, there's an animation error in this one oh. where Dorothy's hair clips through her ear. Huh. And as a result... I was a little distracted at parts of this, just waiting to see it happen again. It didn't, as far as I know, but <laughs> mm, mm. Okay. Um, yeah. And the the show also, speaking of its aesthetics, the uh, it's got a real cinema movie sound quality to it, to all the booms and machine I noises. I noticed that too. Yeah, and yeah. The, and the way that the, like it would, um, like the camera would pan around, like, whoosh, like, yes. it really does look like this should be, a movie. Yeah. Um, I would or say the quality it's is, it's definitely not, yeah, movie quality, but, uh, but yeah, the, certainly the sound is very movie-like. They've done some interesting things here, like, they haven't told the Oz story, the, the temptation would be that they've just thrown a new coat of paint, but it's still Dorothy um, meeting the Scarecrow and then meeting the Tin Man, but instead they've, made an interesting choice with Ojo the Unlucky as a main character. Hmm. Um, I've not read the books that he's in. I may, I may have read one where he's just like mentioned, but um, as I understand it, his book uh, is like a scavenger hunt where he's got to go across Oz and collect things, which makes him a pretty good choice if what they're doing in this series is collecting the magic elements. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if that is the case, but it looks that way to me, right? Like, yeah. In the first episode, they detail, they show the periodic table and describe what all the different rings of elements are associated with. Yeah, yeah. So 
I think that's what's going to happen in the show and that she's going to like trap each element in her journal to repair it. Maybe. <laughs> I guess we got to watch more episodes of this to figure this out. And I kind of want to actually. It's weird. When I first when I first stumbled across this, I didn't actually watch this episode. I kind of clicked through it a little bit just to see what it was like. And yeah. I went, oh, wow, this is weird. But I also yeah. wasn't impressed by it. I no. was like, okay. this is kind of ugly. Huh. Um, and then I gave it to you. And then I went and watched the whole thing. And it grew on me in a weird way. Sure. Like, it doesn't look as ugly as I thought it did at all, actually. It looks kind of okay. Um, yeah. And it's... It, it, when I first saw it, I was like, whoa, cyberpunk Oz? What? But then... Dorothy, Dorothy kind of reminds me of uh, the girl from Inside Out. A little bit. A little bit, yeah, yeah. I guess. I kind of want to watch more of this. Well, and it, when I first gave, when I first saw it and gave it to you, I thought, "Oh, this is going to be just a train wreck nightmare." But then, actually watching it, I'm like, "Actually, I, I'm sort of into this a little bit." Part of it is, I think, that it's not familiar, right? That they've yeah. chosen, they've chosen odd bits and pieces from the Oz lore, like also that uh, rebel from the first episode that they chose the patchwork uh, doll. That's you yeah. know another funky pick and yeah, again I, th a, I, I think associated with ojo again but yeah yeah there was i noticed in the background in one shot there was like an advertisement for like i, I can't remember what the product was but it was gnome king was the oh, brand uh, like it was like gnome king tours or something like that oh yeah and also um when they're demonstrating what the water balloon balloons of oblivion do they hit a couple of guys who are arguing about the quality of the tin man uh the tin man's movies so i guess he's a movie star in the emerald city yeah um also i think i caught the mention maybe this was in the first episode but i think mm. i caught the mention that um the train line that they were on is the yellow brick line yes yeah weird it's kind of like you know what this is like this is like mm. um the wizard of oz equivalent of samurai rabbit the oh, Usagi yeah. Chronicles. Okay, yeah, I see what you mean. Um, so I I mentioned that this is last week I mentioned that this is an Amazon Prime original or an Amazon mm -hmm. Video original, I should say. Yeah. Um, and I went and watched it on Amazon Video. Mm -hmm. And the little description of it said that it won multiple Emmys. Huh. I was like, what? So when I looked, I went and looked it up. It won three Emmys in 2017. Um, and get this. Outstanding sound mixing. Okay. Outstanding <laughs> sound editing. Sure. Um, and outstanding children's animated program. All right. And, and I went and looked at what it beat. So okay. these were the nominees. So it won. The other nominees were Milo Murphy's Law. Are you familiar with that show? No, it is a spinoff of Phineas and Ferb starring uh, Al Yankovic as a okay. descendant of the Murphy who invented Murphy's Law. The idea that anything that can go wrong will go wrong. OK. And so he's kind of this guy where everything 
again, it's in the Phineas and Ferb universe, and it's this guy where just things kind of go wrong around him. The Ferbiverse. I guess, yeah. Uh, there's dragons race to the edge. Oh. Uh, I think this is, I'm not sure, but I think this might be part of the How to Train Your Dragon universe. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Lego Star Wars, the Freemaker Adventures. I <laughs> I have no idea what that is. Okay. And uh, Netflix's reboot of the Mr. Peabody and Sherman show. Huh. Uh, which, actually, I kind of like because um, it has Mr. Peabody is voiced by... Oh, I can't remember his name. He's, um... He's Cyril in Archer and he's Jerry in Rick and Morty, who are both kind of the same character. And so it was neat to see that actor playing a different character in this. Hmm. Mr. Peabody. So it's funny. You're naming off these shows and you were saying that Dungeons and Dragons seems hollow as a cartoon. (laughs) (laughs) Just a title like the Lego Schmimity Schmaps or whatever, you know, like who gives gives an F? Star Wars. Star yeah. Wars isn't schmibbity schmap. Anyway. Um, <laughs> sure. Anyway, Lost in Oz was also nominated for Outstanding Writing in an Animated Program and Outstanding Casting for an Animated Series or Special, which reminds mm. me, did you look at the voice cast for this at all? I've got lots of notes. Okay, go ahead. Okay, Ashley Betcher is Dorothy. Uh-huh. And uh, Dream Girlfriend Gwen from 12 Forever. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, not Neat. not not the one that uh, that Reggie is keen on, but uh, yeah. Anyway, um, oh, the one that goes oh. to the dance, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. right, 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 right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, okay. Um, Nika Futterman is West. Oh, oh man. And okay, uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of a sucker for this kind of voice. I like it. Um, I actually thought this was Ashley Ball. Because when sure. West first started talking, she sounded just like uh, Rainbow Dash. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, her career, this is going to be a recurring theme of her voices here. Tons of superhero shows. Yes. Um, she, she's Catwoman in Brave and the Bold. Uh, she's Hot Girl in DC Superhero Girls. Um, Jorge Diaz is Ojo. Oh, wait, wait. You missed what? an important credit for Nika Futterman. Okay, okay. What I miss? She is the lady who sings... Give it to me, baby, in the Offspring's Pretty Fly for a White Guy. Really? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> how old would she... Anyway, I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how old she is now, but I imagine not that old. Uh, uh, anyway. <laughs> okay. Sorry, Jorge Diaz. You're Ojo and uh, Brian in Cleopatra in Space. Um. <laughs> Chris Cox is the one who's channeling his Frank Welker to voice Toto. Yeah. And he's, he's again, lots of superhero stuff. He was Captain Adam and Justice League Unlimited, Captain America and Ultimate Spider-Man, a million things. Um, yeah. Alexander Polinsky is Fitz and Control Freak in Teen Titans. <laughs> By the way, Fitz, I'm not sure, but I think that's an allusion to L. Frank Baum because he published things under a pseudonym Captain Hugh Fitzgerald. You know, I wondered if Fitz was a character in Oz that I wasn't quite familiar with. I figured you yeah. might know because you know more about Because Ojo, Ojo is another name that sounds really familiar to me. Um, oh. Well, he's, he's a munchkin in the books that, that is oh, okay. unlucky. 
Oh, and he, okay. like I said, he goes on a quest to get stuff. But anyway, uh, sure. Um, right. So that's the best I can do with Fitz is that it's L. Frank Baum, his pseudonym. Um, All right. I think. Sure. And um, I think you would uh, be angry if I didn't mention that Kath Susie is Syrah. And hmm. you might know her as Fifi LaFume and Lola Bunny. Yeah, you might. She's hmm. she's a, a million things. Yeah, 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 yeah. So even though they've they've gone more to the books, there is a moment where you get to see that witch girl West kind of go green when she's tempted by the dark side of the force. Really? Um, I didn't catch that. In the first episode. Oh, well, I didn't watch the first episode. You haven't watched the first episode? Okay. Well, it's a good thing I summarized it for you, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, I left out that plot point that Fitz kind of tries to sway her to the dark side. Because yeah. he's like practicing magic with her. And there's a mm. point where she's walking away from her friends and her skin turns green. And when she sees that in, in a reflection, she realizes what's happening to her. Right, so right. I don't know if this is foreshadowing that at some point she's going to get green skin. At some point she's going to take that uh, flying monkey controlling derby. I don't know if that's going to happen in this, but it's it's one of those things that we got to watch more to find out. Yeah. Would you. OK, her look. Would you say that she is um, emo? Would that fit? I don't know. Maybe a little bit on the goth side. Yeah. With her speak. purple hair all swept to the... Oh, purple hair. Uh, and her, <laughs> her, like, striped stockings and spider web skirt. Um, I mean, the seeds are there for a witch. I mean, she is a witch. I guess wicked witch. Well, the seeds are also there for cartoon crushes. Seems to me... I was looking this up. Everybody's cartoon crush, like, past our time, right? The, 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 the kids of the 90s and the 2000s. Uh-huh. They're all goth girls. Like almost all of them. So she's fit to fall in line in that trend. That actually reminds me of something that I forgot to mention at the top. Yeah. Um, my VTuber quest. Well, okay. I say quest like I'm I need it, but it's more yeah. like VTuber journey. Boy, it took a weird turn this last week. Oh yeah? Um one of the VTubers whose name I didn't mention in the Hollow Live Myth faction is mm. Ina Nice, who okay. her deal is that she's like a tentacle beast from some weird dimension or something. But she basically thinks of herself as an octopus, a taco, if you will. Okay. And so apparently over the last week or couple of weeks, uh, the myth faction all got together in real life uh, at one of their houses. I think it might be uh, Amelia Watson's house. So you had uh, Kiara, who I said I didn't know what she was. Uh, it turns out mm -hmm. she's a phoenix, which explains why the villagers in uh, on their Minecraft server live in Phoenixton. Okay. So there's Kiara, uh, Amelia Watson, Gargura, um uh Ina Nice and the other one hmm. and they're all together and so apparently there was one stream where they were doing arm wrestling and okay in part of this Ina started jumping around in such a way that her character model's back was visible yes and with it her butt 
<gasps> um, so she's wearing a dress that like, you know, it's backless all the way down to like her very lower back. And then there's her butt, which has wings on it. Little things. <laughs> and apparently she's also an artist. And so one of the hashtags she uses is Ina Art. Mm-hmm. And apparently over the last week, the Ina Art hashtag has been taken over by fan art of her from behind. <laughs> with okay. But in varying sizes, ranging from tight and compact to gigantic and crushing people. <laughs> um, and yeah. she and everyone is like, what the heck is going on? Why is everyone obsessed with Ina's back now? Huh. It's VTubers are weird, man. I bet the Velociraptor never had this problem. <laughs> well, let's go down that rabbit hole. No, let's not. Yeah, let's um, try something else. Let's try something else. Um, although, speaking of butts, let's talk about two-parters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's nice. Yeah. Everybody, it's <laughs> So we're going to look at two-part episodes. And what we're going to do is next week, we're going to watch part one of something. We're each going to watch part one of something. And then the next week, we're going to watch part two. So by telling you what we're watching this week, we'll tell you what we'll watch next week as well. Um, so, Micah, here you go. Uh, right. Two-part episode. Now, let me make sure I get this name correct. Uh, the show is, it's obscure. It's called mm. Bob's Burgers. Oh, okay. Um... And the episode, I believe this is the finale of season four, this two-parter. There might have been one more episode after it, I'm not sure. But anyway, it's in season four. Uh, part one, the title of it is Wharf Horse. Part one, how Bob saves slash destroys the town. <laughs> is that wharf like W-H-A-R-F? Yes, like the, okay. a, a dock sticking out in the water. Okay. <laughs> Well, I went really differently. Um, for you, Matsy, we're going to start this two-parter with The Transformers. Oh. And it is The Key to Vector Sigma, Part 1. Hmm. All right. Yeah. Check that out. So there we go. We got Bob's Burgers and Frank Welker and Peter Cullen. I don't know that Frank Welker's ever been in Bob's Burgers. Probably not. Anyway, so two parts next week, but just one part this week. And uh, your part is to tweet about Animation Celery. Tell people about it. Tell us about it, because we don't know. Uh, tell us what we should uh, watch. Tell us what we should discuss. Uh, if you watch Lost in Oz, tell us what you think. Tell us about your Dungeons and Dragons experiences with Beholders and... Uh, uh, Shatter Kai and Blink hmm. Dogs and all the other good things, all the Kobolds. Um, what are those? Uh, Kuotoa? Um, Kuotoa, fish guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I am at AC Matsy. Yeah, and also let us know if you've ever had cartoon dreams, like where you're He Man or uh, Workaday Mechanic. <laughs> I am at Drab Swatch. And now, are you sensitive, thoughtful? Interested in astrology? You might be an Arcturian starseed. 
You have limitless potential if you can access your past life across the galaxy. In order to open up your chakras, repeat the Celery Stalker's slogan. Boy, I can almost taste those hamburgers. 